Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Uh, why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to look at verses 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 9, that's going to be our, our primary text to get started. Man. So, for those of you who've been here the last few weeks, we've, um, man, God is just doing something so sweet in this house. We've, uh, we've really talked the last few weeks of ministry to the Lord. So if you missed the last two weeks, I encourage you to go back and you can um, look it online. We have our, all of our sermons there. But we were just talking about ministry to God, um, offering up ourselves unto the Lord. The last few weeks in our church, since we've come out of Deeper, God has put it on our heart, which was Deeper was a, a gathering that we had at, um, at actually uh, one of our local schools here. And when we came out of that, we felt like God was calling us into... Um, an even deeper place of prayer. And so we started to institute prayer. We've always had it on Thursday nights. It's always been a part of our, our ministry in, in the you know, specific ministries. We pray all the time, but we felt like corporately we needed more uh, times for us to come together. And so Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from 12 to 2, we gather to pray. And I say that because there's just a shift that God is doing us. It's a very simple shift of just coming back to see like Jesus is enough and just to seek him and to pray. And, and really, this is the way that we fight our battles is just pursuing uh, the kingdom of God. And with that, I really, since deeper, I felt it on my heart, but I've just been waiting from the Lord to have his release to speak on this. Um, what I want to speak to you about, and this may, you know, just bear with me. I know for some that this may be foreign, but I want to speak to you about fasting. I want to speak to you about fasting. What I want to do is I, I, I just sense that we are moving into a season where prayer is increasing, and we need to also, with that, come into a place of increased fasting. And, man, fasting is, is so powerful, and I want you to just lean in on this. If it's new to you, you never heard about it, it's been strange, it's some dead religious deed that you tried to do once and just felt condemned because you ate the cheeseburger by 10 a.m., um, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on all of that. I understand the struggles. My, my, I hope I get yours. My wife is pregnant. I said, man, I feel like God's saying to speak on fasting now. She's like, fasting? I can't fast. I'm pregnant. I don't want to think about that. And so, look, we understand the struggles of it, but, man, fasting is profound. It is powerful. And I don't know how many weeks we'll spend on this. It may just be this week and, and, and uh, another week after this. But one of the things that God's been highlighting is the power of fasting because of how it draws us near to the bridegroom. And because of that, it has a powerful, um, it has a, a, something powerful that conquers flesh. It conquers unbelief. It conquers strongholds. We wage war in the higher places in the spirit realm. And fasting is one of the ways that we actually go to war. And things over communities, families, generational things can be broken through fasting. It's so powerful. And yet a lot of us, we, we really don't understand what it's for. And I just, feel, I just feel this burden as a shepherd to call us into, into a season, not just a season, but a lifestyle of fasting, all right? So this is, I feel like these next, whatever it is, week, two weeks, is going to be a real time of just equipping, okay? Before we get into the power of fasting to conquer flesh and those things, what I want to do today, because we've never spoken about, is I just want to lay a foundation for you that's really important, which is really the primary purpose 
of why we do this, and, and ultimately you could sum it up a lot of ways, but, but longing for him, hungering for him. In fact, this word keep coming to me of lovesick, as we're going to see, it's actually rooted primarily in a bride that is lovesick for their bridegroom. Everything starts here, and then from that, we see there's powerful effects of fasting. Um, I realize for some, again, that this fasting um, may seem something ancient to you, and actually it is. It is. It's something very biblical. It's something that God has instituted, but it is something very powerful. It's not irrelevant. It's not outdated. Um, it's something that can radically change lives. There, there's a tool that we're going to speak about in these next few weeks that literally can shift your walk in a, in a really powerful way, a really powerful way. I want to crush this idea that fasting is a dead religious deed. And I want you to see it's actually fueled by incredible passion and hunger for Jesus. And we have a privilege to enter into this. Personally, I can just tell you, if you were to say, like, pull me aside and say, hey, what's one thing I can do in my life? Like, what's a discipline in my life that, man, could just, just shake things up? And I would say fasting. Like, there's nothing in my life that has really had such a, a, a profound impact when it comes to disciplines as fasting. I, I've, I've, had, I've been stuck in ruts. And it's fasting and coming near to Jesus that has broken things in my life. It's, um, it's, it's where I've heard the voice of God. When you fast, it has this unique way of drowning out every other voice and distraction. And you begin to hear the voice of God even clearer. Your attention gets set back on the Lord. How many know that throughout, the, throughout our lives, man, we can just get so filled with the world, right? It just happens. And there's something about fasting that just purifies our ears and our heart just to hear his voice. It's so, so powerful. In the scriptures, we actually see that, uh, and throughout church history, that saints have been forged and formed through fasting. Kingdoms have been established while others have crumbled because of fasting has been at the root of it. Jonah went to the city of Nineveh after he went through all of his running, and he preached a message of them to enter into, for, into repentance. And guess what? They repented and fasted, and God actually, actually uh, withheld his judgment upon the land. Like fasting is so, so powerful. And so I just, I want to stir your hearts for that um, to see that, man, it is, a, it is a game changer in your life when we understand and we come through the right perspective. And I really believe wholeheartedly that moving from these next few weeks that you're going to enter into this, it's going to become, become part of your lifestyle and your walk with God is going to deeply change. All right? Now, I know what uh, some of you are thinking. <laughs> I'm not called to fast. It's not my strength. It's not my gift. It's not my skill. It's for the other person. Um, let, me, let, me, let me be clear on this. Jesus, in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 6, Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, and in this, he teaches on three essential characteristics of walking with Jesus, walking with himself. And the three things are giving, prayer, and fasting. And in each of these teachings, what Jesus does is he uses a similar expression. He says this. He says, when you give to the needy, when you pray, pray like this, and when you fast, fast like this. The point is, is he does not say, if you fast, he says, when you fast. You see, Jesus wasn't just giving good advice. He wasn't just offering a recommendation. He wasn't just saying, hey, this is something if you get a chance to try. To Jesus, he had a firm expectation that all of his followers would engage in an active lifestyle of fasting. In fact, he goes on to teach them, which is important, 
He says, when you fast, he says, don't let it be fueled by a desire for others to see how, how holy you are. I, I don't want to get too much in, but this is important. He says, when you fast, basically what he says is get ready and go about your day like you would any other time. Don't make it something where people can physically see that you are fasting. So shower, shave, do what you got to do, because your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So the primary motive actually for fasting is, is real simple, obedience. It's actually obedience because Jesus has called us to do this. He's given us actually the privilege of this. So before I, I share the scripture, I want to just give you, what I'm going to do today is we're going to have some deep spiritual truths. And then I also want to share some very practical things with you regarding fasting because we've never spoken about it. And the reality is, is that it is a deep spiritual truth, but there's some really practical things too that I want us to know so that we can really, again, be equipped as we move forward in what God is doing in this house. So the first thing I want to share with you is this. What, what is fasting, right? Like really simple, what is fasting? I've had many conversations with individuals who may come up and say something like, um, Andrew, uh, social media has a real grip on me. And there are times where I need to just shut it down so that I can just be more with the Lord. Or we may say something like, this is for me, like I, I love sports and there are times where I can just feel like watching sports just has this unhealthy grip on my life. And man, I need to just like shut it down completely. Now, let me, let me tell you something. That is awesome. If First of all, if you have that type of awareness and response to God because you realize something has an unhealthy grip and you want to honor him, that is beautiful. And you should continue to do that. And you bless the heart of God when you do that. But biblically, that's not fasting. Biblically, that may be called something like sacrifice. We may call it dedication. We're sacrificing something to God. We're dedicating something to God. That's awesome. Continue to do it. But biblically, fasting is only concerning food and drink. That's it. Now, why is that? I think it's probably because of one of the ways Jesus has identified himself, which is the bread of life. See, we've been given a physical hunger so that we would understand how to relate to Jesus. So when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he knows that he doesn't want to just be learned. He wants to be consumed. And just as bread in the physical can bring a satisfaction to your flesh, consuming Jesus will satisfy your soul. In fact, in our culture, the central piece of our meal is usually meat. That's not how it was in biblical times. The bread was the centerpiece. The bread was the staple of the meal. The bread is what gives you strength and sustenance to go on through your day. So when Jesus says he's the bread of life, he's saying, man, I am the centerpiece. I'm everything that you need. And what happens is, is we begin to push away the plate and we begin to be consumed by the bread of life. We become so hungry for him that we say, I don't even want to partake in physical food. And there's something so powerful that begins to take place when we consume Jesus. Fasting is feasting on fellowship with God. It's that simple. It is a hunger for God. It is, man, I want him and I recognize that he satisfies my soul. And I am so hungry for him. Let me tell you, only the, only the hungry will fast. I'll let you think about that. <laughs> Only the hungry will fast. If you feel like your hunger has been dulled for the Lord, I promise you this, enter into a time of fasting, boom, this thing just kicks up. It's incredible. And it's not just because of abstaining from food. It's, it's not that. It's because of it's drawing you near to the bridegroom. We were created to feast on God. Psalm 6-3-5 is one of these great uh, portions of scripture where David 
just lays out how he longs for God. He's thirsty for God. This land can't quench it. And then at the end, he says this in verse 5 of Psalm 63. He says, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. He's saying, just as rich foods satisfy me, says God has a satisfaction in my life too, that same way. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Just be open-minded to this. I promise you, there is nothing. This is so powerful. It's such a powerful tool when we begin to actually apply this in our life. So let's look at Matthew chapter 9. I just want to lay out some basics with you, but now I want to, I want to jump into this. And again, I want to attack this, this first part of understanding fasting is rooted in a hunger for him, a longing for him. Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to read these two verses. It may be one of the more or the most important scripture regarding fasting, in my, in my particular opinion. And here's what it says. We really understand the heart of it. Starting in verse 14, it says, Then John, John the Baptist, then John's disciples came and asked him, who? Jesus. And this is what they asked Jesus. How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Verse 15, Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. One of the most important, powerful scriptures on fasting. What is Jesus saying? Jesus, first of all, he's making a statement about who he is. He is the bridegroom. We know this. We've talked about it. He is the bridegroom, and the church is the bride. He is the husband, and we are his wife. And Jesus makes a statement and says, the reason why my disciples do not fast right now is because they have the bridegroom. In other words, my presence is with them right now. The husband is with the wife. He says, but there's a time coming when I'm going to go. What's he talking about? He's saying that when he's going to die, resurrect, and ascend to the Father. And he says, and when the bridegroom leaves, when the husband leaves, then my disciples will begin to fast. You see, what he's actually teaching is that there's something about fasting that draws us near to the presence of the bridegroom. This serves at the heart of it. Jesus says they don't have to fast. Why? Because I'm physically with them. But when I leave, there's something about fasting that draws a nearness between me and my bride. This serves as the primary root for why we fast, is that it is actually a longing from the bride for the bridegroom to come. It is an inward ache, a bridal ache from the church that says, Jesus, come back for your people. There's nothing like it. There's something about when we push physical food away that actually brings us into a place of nearness with the bridegroom. Yes, I know that Jesus has given us his spirit. We have the spirit of Christ in us. But Jesus himself is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And there is a level of restricted intimacy that we cannot have right now that we will be able to have when he returns. And so there is this deep hunger for him to come. And it's, you know, it's deeper than just a final return. I've, I think it's, it's a characteristic of a church that says, Lord, come now. Lord, I'm dissatisfied with the measure of what I'm experiencing of you. I want more of you. I'm hungry for you, Jesus. Bridegroom, come. Husband, lover, come. I want you. I'm not content with what I'm experiencing. I know there's more, and I want you. And when we begin to fast, we are actually putting a physical expression to that inward ache in our heart. Fasting is not about, we're not fasting for power. We're not fasting for influence. We're not fasting for things. Those are all lesser rewards compared to the greater thing, which is him. 
I don't fast to prove how strong I am. I don't fast to prove how religious I am. I don't fast to prove how, how good I am. That's not why you fast. You do that and you'll fall into condemnation. I fast for one reason. I want him. I am lovesick for the bridegroom to come back. I want him to return. I want to see him. I want to say, Jesus, we need more of you. And I just begin to go through the scriptures and I begin to see this theme that I've read before, but I never really under, I never saw it like this. But from the beginning to the end in the New Testament, there is this continual cry of the church for the Lord to come. Listen to this. Hebrews 9.28. I'll bring this up on the screen. It says this in verse 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin. He's already done that. So why will Christ return? Why will the bridegroom come back? But to bring salvation to those who are what? Waiting for him. This is not a passive waiting. This is not a waiting that does not have purpose. This is an intentional longing and expectation for Jesus to return. He's coming back for a people that have this inward ache to say, Jesus, come back. We need you. 1 Corinthians 1.7, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, and he says this. You are not lacking in any gift, spiritual gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church was characterized by this eager waiting for Jesus to come. In 1 Corinthians 16.22, it's one of the famous portions of scripture that we've called the Maranatha cry. Have you ever heard about that? Maranatha is an Aramaic word, which is one of the two primary languages for the New Testament, Greek and Aramaic. The way it's translated in our, in our text is something along the lines of, O Lord, or our Lord, come. Come. Paul says this. What it means is, come now, right away. There was something about the church that said, Jesus, we want you. And I believe it's, yes, there's a, a cry to come in completion, but there's a cry even now to say, come. Thy kingdom come. They knew that when the kingdom comes, the king comes. So Jesus taught them how to pray. Pray for it to come now. It was a place of saying, Jesus, we're not content with what we're experiencing. In John 14, 3, Jesus told his disciples before he was ready to leave, he says this, I go and prepare a place for you. What does he say after? But I will come again. I am coming back. And finally, in Revelation 22, 20, I love it. The way the Bible ends, literally the final words of Jesus and the church, the bridegroom and the bride. How does the whole Bible end? Jesus says this, surely I am coming soon. And what does the church respond with? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I could share so many other scriptures, but the church, the early church was marked by an eager expectation and an eager waiting for Jesus to come. This pervades the scriptures. There's something within them that is so hungry for Jesus to come. They knew that there was more. They knew that what they were experiencing, there was more to come. They were lovesick. <laughs> they were lovesick. I looked up the definition. It's when you love someone or you miss someone so much that you cannot act normal until they return. Listen, <laughs> the bridegroom has come. He's left before the wedding. How can the bride act normal? What woman in this room who is married right now, what bride in this room, if your husband were to say, I need to leave for a while, but I will come back, which one of you could actually act normal until he comes back? You would be checking your phone. You'd be looking out saying, when will he return? 
The church is meant to be marked by this people that are so eager for Jesus to come. We want to see him more. We want to see him come. I remember when I was, when Chris and I were first, uh, first dating, I remember when we would get together, I remember every two seconds checking my phone to see if she's texted me, looking out the window, is she here yet? Has she come yet? Like that is, thank you guys, yeah. Got some points there. <laughs> yes, we can go home. <laughs> but, but do you remember that feeling? You know that thing when you, you were in love with someone and you were waiting for them to come. This should be the mark of the church and fasting is actually a way that we express this thing. Where is the bridegroom? And not just again in this final coming, but daily saying, I want him. I want him more. I know there's always more. If you think you've arrived, you've missed it. There's always more in Jesus, and there's a hunger to say, I want the bread of life. Look, look at verse 15. I want you to see this. This is, this is really important. Jesus answered, this is again in Matthew 9. Jesus answered and said this, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Did you catch that? What is Jesus actually teaching us about the motivation for fasting? Fasting, listen, this is so important. Fasting is not motivated and fueled by contentment. It's fueled by dissatisfaction for what you have. All right, I got to share a truth that God was speaking to me that just kind of rocked me. When fasting is absent, it means we're content with the measure of Jesus we have. If we don't fast, here's what it means. I'm happy with what I got. The Western church has to be purged of its contentment, of its prosperous living and how comfortable it's gotten. That we no longer are people marked by fasting and prayer because we say we don't need more of Jesus. Look at everything we have. But when a church begins, do you know in Korea, oh my goodness, the Korea, the, the church is exploding. There's like 300 churches every new year for 100 years. It's normal in their congregation in the house churches in the mountains where the people are doing 40-day fasts. <laughs> Like, again, it's not we're trying to compete, but these are, they're hungry, and God is exploding in this place. And when we're not fasting, honestly, that the root of it is what it means is I'm content with what I have. I'm satisfied with what I have. And when you say, Jesus, we need to move into a place where we are hungry for God. What is, what is one of the main <laughs> uh, enemies or dangers of hungering, or what comes in the way of hungering from God it's simple. It's desire for other things. And what I mean by this, I want to go a little bit deeper than just that. That's like, okay, I get it. But desire for other things, it's typically not bad things. It's good things. What happens is, is God blesses us with things, and we become so full of chewing on these things that it dulls our appetite for God. Jesus taught, uh, he, he gave us a parable. He said, the word of God goes out in Luke 8, 14, and he says, and the word of God will touch certain people and will awaken them to a desire for me. He says, but as they continue on in their walk, he says, that desire is going to be choked out by what? By the cares of this world and by the pursuit of the pleasures of life. These aren't bad things. These are things God has blessed us with. These are things that we should cherish, enjoy, careers, families. All of this stuff is good things. But what happens is we become so consumed with them, it dulls us to our appetite for God. Have you been there? Have you been there where you've been so full of things that you can just feel, man, I have no ache for him anymore. Like, I just treat his presence with just so casual. I don't care if I have him or not. I, I, I'm good with what I have. I'm so full on 
my Netflix shows and whatnot, I've been there. I'm in that, to be honest. I'm in that. I'm in that. And I feel like God is really doing this in my heart right now. And I say, God, I need to have an inward ache for you. I need an inward ache for you. Mark 4.19, the same story. Jesus says, uh, Jesus actually says it's the desire for other things. That's how he words it, the desire for other things that chokes out the desire for God. Man, it's, it's crazy how it happens. Do you know that Jesus also gave a story in Luke 14? He says there was an invitation to a wedding banquet. And he says when the invitation went out, those who first received it RSVP'd by saying, I can't come. <laughs> and why not? One said, I have to tend to the land. One said, I have to tend to my oxen. One said, I have to tend to my wife. In other words, the very things that God blessed them with became the very barriers for coming and dining with God at the love feast. Oh, how that happens. The careers and all the things he gives us that are good, and yes, we want to do with excellence, but those are the very things that actually come in the way of being hungry for him. We get so filled with them that we just lose our appetite for God. John Piper, he says the real, he says the real, um, the real enemy for hunger for God is not poison, it's apple pie. <laughs> it's so good. But he goes on to say this. I want to read this. He says, the weakness, listen what he says, the weakness of our hunger for God Listen, it's not because he's unsavory, but because we keep ourselves stuffed with other things. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. Perhaps then the denial of our stomach's appetite for food might express or even increase our soul's appetite for God. I promise you this, if you feel right now that there is a dulling of appetite. If this stuff seems foreign, what we're talking about, extreme, says, man, I don't have that hunger. Psalm 63 seems foreign to me. It even frustrates me. What should I do? That's what we're talking about, a practical step, fast. I promise you, there's a fire that will begin to burn inside of you. One of the major objectives that I think we have towards fasting, I know I did for a while, is I don't want to enter into a dead work. I don't want to work. Jesus has purchased everything, but the Christianity is not opposed to works. It's opposed to the false opinions of works. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved for good works. Fasting, Jesus taught in Revelation chapter 2, he said that when this church fell out of their first love, do you remember that? Ephesus, church of Ephesus, Revelation 2, he says there's a church that fell from their first love. You know what he said? Repent and do the works you did at first. That's interesting. Jesus says, you, you stop loving me. What do you need to do? There's works that you need to start doing. What does that mean? There's works that fuel love. You see, fasting is not, it's, it's a means to an end. If you just see it as just abstaining from food, you'll get really prideful, puffed up, you'll miss the whole point. The point of fasting is actually to realign our heart and posture ourselves internally to love him more. That's the whole point. And it actually can fuel love. It can break off the lesser loves in your heart. It can realign your gaze to be so satisfied with the sun again. It's amazing how it can do this. Uh, Moses you know, I'm not going to have you turn there. I'll just share it. Moses, uh, he's actually the first story that we see regarding fasting in the Bible. Um, do you guys know this account, Moses at Mount Sinai? So the Israelites are traveling to the promised land. And as they're going, we know, this, a lot of us know this story, that there's this beautiful encounter with God at Mount Sinai that shapes them and marks them forever. God reinstates his presence. But while they're at Mount Sinai, God calls uh, Moses up to the mountain. And I love that because God's the one who calls Moses. In other words, God gives an invitation. God has preset a place to meet with Moses. Now, Moses has to obey to the voice of God and has to do the work of actually climbing the mountain. 
There's a work involved. He has to say, I'm going to answer this. But when he does, there's something about obedience to the voice of God where there's a glorious encounter that awaits. There's a glorious encounter awaiting each and every one of you in this room. God has prepared it for you. He calls us all to come away at times to go into fasting. I promise you this. It is something that will change you forever. But we must say yes to that voice. And so what happens is, is that God calls Moses up to this mountain. Moses comes. And while Moses is there, God locks him into this encounter for 40 days. And it says he goes without food for 40 days. That's amazing because I think it gives such a beautiful picture of what fasting is. He has become so fascinated with God. His attention is so set on God that he is no longer worried about the demands of his flesh. He has seen something. He has tasted something that's so good that he is no longer desiring the things of this world. And although we actually need physical food, we are physical beings, he has tasted something that has satisfied his soul to such a degree that he's no longer concerned about even eating anymore. Like this is really the heart of fasting. It's not this dead religious thing of trying to force ourselves to earn God's favor. It's that we've, we've seen something, we've tasted something, we've touched something so good that we say, God, I want more. I want more. And one of the beautiful things that I, that I saw in this is that Moses, while he's in this encounter with God and fasting with the Lord, is he hears the voice of God so clear on many things. This is so, so important. When you fast, there is something about it that, that, that makes you sensitive to the voice of God again. If you struggle with saying, I don't know what in the world God wants from me. I feel like I'm all over the place. I feel like there's so many competing voices that I don't know which way to go. I promise fasting can drown out all of that. And you can hear the voice of God clearly. Jesus said when he fasted, I do not, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We are called, we are called to live a life that is, that is led. Do you know that? We are called to be led by the Spirit. We are called to be led by the shepherd. How? By his voice. The enemy comes with a voice too. And sometimes it's so hard to differentiate between those and Man, we're all over the place, but when you fast, there's something about it where you can hear the voice of God so clearly. It's amazing how it happens. I think a lot of times when I look at my life, I get that we step out, we take risks, and there's failure, and God, we grow in that. That's important. We have to be willing to make, make mistakes at times, but I think a lot of times our walks, if we're honest, are more of just a trial and error. We just step out and just hope that God is in this. And I don't think it's really, that's supposed to be the main characteristic of our walk. We're called to be led by the voice. And we would hear his voice more, and I think we would, we would make wiser decisions if we had lifestyles of fasting where, man, we would be so in tune. My wife and I, I just a personal testimony, when we weren't sure if I was going to stay and work at Teen Challenge, God called us into a fast. We, we obeyed and responded. God spoke so clearly that we were going to work there. We stayed. When we felt like God was moving us from there, we said, what do we do? We went into a season of fasting and praying. What happened? God spoke so clearly to come out here and start a church. Like, I'm here today because fasting has played such a pivotal role in hearing the voice of God. Right before we left Teen Challenge, I, I went away uh, to Vermont just to be with God and, and fast, and my wife let me go there, and I just was seeking him for a week there. God spoke. He said, go back to, go back to school. He was preparing me for that we were going to come out here to pastor. Months later, I had no idea. We don't know what's on the other side, but we just obey. And we know that when you sow in the spirit, you reap in the spirit. God will never be mocked. So even though you may feel like, did anything happen? When you do this, something is always taking place when you fast. Does that make sense? 
I want to share one, uh, one other thing, spiritual truth to you, and then I just want to leave you with, uh, real quick, some very practical things of different fasts, and, um, and we'll just close out there. But this is, <laughs> this is so, so important. I was going to share a lot more on this, but I'm just going to simplify it. I was listening to a video this week uh, by a guy that came to speak at Deeper, Michael Dow, because he's someone I really admire when it comes to a lifestyle of fasting. And, uh, and then I was also reading some uh, parts of a book from John Piper, which I shared before, called Hungering for God. And it's amazing that these two men shared on the same thing that was so deep, and it just so struck me. They expressed it differently. But if you, I want everyone to lean on this. This is so important. Food, I don't know if you know what food is. It, it's, it's, a, it's a real uh, crutch in our lives. And what you will find when you fast, and this was the whole idea, is what you will find when you fast is hunger. Hunger is not really the hardest part. Believe it or not, although you will have times of momentary where, where you're, you get hungry, it feels like it's forever, it's, just, it's actually just for a moment. And what you'll find is the longer, if you go on extended fast, that actually you'll hit sweet spots where your body adjusts, and man, you are just so like in glory with God, and you really don't want to eat. What's hard is not hunger, it's habits. In other words, it's not the food, it's the relationship that we have with food. This is really, really important. Have you ever noticed that throughout your day, Things will happen to you. Stressed at work, bored in the car ride home, get into a fight with your spouse, and you turn to food. You don't even realize it, but you start craving certain foods. Something has happened in your life that has influenced you to crave this food and it has nothing to do with taste. There's something about it that you're looking for. There's something in it that you're looking to satisfy in you. Do you know that without getting too in-depth in this, but it's amazing how our body is made, do you know that when we indulge in certain foods that are high in sweets and refined carbs, do you know that long story short, if I were to work through the whole process, the end result is that your brain is triggered to release chemicals like dopamine and serotonin? Serotonin is the feel-good chemical. This is where we get the idea of comfort foods. Do you know that's a real thing? You can actually eat certain foods, and it gives you a euphoria, a high, where you actually get that calming, soothing feeling. You see, what happens a lot is we, we come and we turn to food. Man, how many times am I driving? I'm just bored. Let me get a Slurpee. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. I got into a fight. My wife and I, when, when we have, um, man, when, like we went through something hard as a family or a hard decision, what do we do? Like, let's just go out and eat. And let's eat whatever we want. <laughs> and you don't realize how there's a relationship to the food. When you fast, the hardest part is not the hungering for food. It's when, those, when you have those life situations that hit you and you don't have food to go to anymore. And that is where your heart will be exposed to realize, wow, how often do I turn to McDonald's and all these other things? And Jesus, as the bread of life, stands there and says, now come to me. And I promise you, as you do that, there is such freedom and victory where God wants to actually break these habits in your life. You follow me? All right. The last thing I want to share with you, very practical, before we close and pray. Is some of you are like, this is great. I feel like I want to go for this. Where in the world do I start? I meant, remember, I want this to be, this is teaching. I want to equip you guys. There are a few different fasts. And so I'm just going to go through these, these quick. There may even be more, but um, I'm going to share these four. Since fasting is not a matter of if but when, we should know what are different ways that we can do this. If you wanted to start right away, you say, man, I want to jump into this. Um, fasting can be a matter of you setting it as a discipline or God can just lead you spontaneously as well. It's not bad to say, hey, I want to make this a regular part of my life and I'm going to schedule it in. Uh, but it's also good to know that you want to be res uh, responsive to the active voice of God when he calls you to do this. 
It's also important to know that fasting is not an isolated discipline. If all you do is fast, you just went on a spiritual diet. <laughs> if, if I'm really busy at work in the morning that I forget to eat breakfast and then when I get to lunch and someone says, hey, how's your day going? It's like, no, it's good. I fasted this morning. No, no, no. <laughs> we, 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 didn't, we actually didn't fast, right? Fasting has to be coupled with other disciplines. So what I would encourage you is when you fast, that time that you would normally eat, set it aside to be with God. Consume the bread of life. How? Read the word, worship, pray, whatever it is. Fellowship with another believer. Feed yourself on Jesus during those times. That's very, very, very important. But I want to I share this. Oh, the example I forgot I, I want to share. The example is working out. Like I, I, I like to work out. If I take supplements and I don't work out, nothing happens, <laughs> right? You have to couple the two. So when you fast, the, the work, that's, that's the supplement. The, the, the working out is the prayer. It's the worship, the word of God. And when you do that, it's powerful, transformative, all right? The first fast is what you may have heard of called the Daniel fast. Have you ever heard of Daniel fast? All right. We're going to get more into Daniel in the upcoming week. So I'll just share this briefly, but there's a lot we can learn. There's actually two Two ways that Daniel fasted. In Daniel uh, chapter 1, he went on a 10-day fast where he only ate vegetables and drank water. Now, Daniel was uh, an Israelite who lived most of his life in captivity in Babylon. Um, and so I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But his first fast was a 10-day fast where he only had vegetables and water. Chapter 10, he goes on a three-week, 21-day fast where he eats no bread, no meat, and no wine. This is so, so important. Is Daniel teaches us something. Because all of us have a tendency to try to systematize our walk with God. We are all very programmatic. Let me, let me prove it to you. When do churches normally fast? January. Everyone knows that. Now, let me tell you something. That is a beautiful discipline. That is biblical. We should give the first of our year to God. There's nothing wrong with that. Here's what the problem is. Is when you fast in January and then God calls the church to fast again in February and we say, oh, no, no, we've already done our fast for the year. Now we're not following a voice, we're following a system. We're not following God, we're actually relying on a formula. So Daniel, when we look at the life of Daniel, he actually is, his fasts are changing. Why? Because he's constantly leaning into the Lord and what the Lord has for him. So when you become, when fasting becomes a regular part of your life, be sensitive to how God is leading you each and every time that you do it. Uh, the three week was a 21 day where he ate no bread, no meat, no wine. When it comes to Daniel fast, there's a lot of variations. So you can, people do different things, but usually what it means is you're, you're restricting yourself from certain rich foods, usually vegetables or something like that is what you eat. The other thing that's really important with Daniel, and this is, this is really good practically, is that first fast that he went on in chapter one, where he only had vegetables and water. The backstory of it is basically Daniel was going to have to present himself before King Nebuchadnezzar. And there was potential that if he didn't show himself to be strong like the other men, that his life was on the line and other people's lives are on the line. And the point is, is that Daniel says, God will give me favor. He's called me to fast. I, it's okay. And he does this 10-day period where he actually shows to be healthier and stronger than those who are eating the rich food of the king. My point is this, is that if there was ever a time not to fast, Daniel had the excuse. Like he needed to prove himself to be strong. Probably not the best time to say, I'm just going to eat vegetables for the next 10 days. <laughs> Why is that important for us? What's the application? There will always be something that comes up to get you to say it's not the right time. There will always be a holiday party at your office. <laughs> the cookies will always be out. There will always be a birthday party. 
there will always be something to say, ah, it's not the right time. But Daniel gives us uh, um, an example that, man, when God calls you, do it. When God calls you into it, do it. The second type of fast is an absolute fast. This is when you refrain from food and water, nothing at all. Queen Esther called the Israelites to do this. They went in for three days, no food, no water at all. That's pretty intense. I wouldn't go more than three days, I don't think, without water. Um, your body needs that. So there are some use wisdom in some of these things. Um, there's also called another fast. It's called a liquid fast. Um, that's personally I, that, just one I lean into a lot where you can maybe you'll drink water but no food or you'll juice. Some people have coffee on it. Some people don't. Again, you can be sensitive to how God leads you. That's called a liquid fast. And then there's another one that uh, I guess the official language of it is called sun up to sun down, which basically means that you fast uh, again, this is all biblical. You fast uh, breakfast and lunch, and you eat dinner. Now, some people will do sunup, sundowns for consecutive uh, number of days, and you may say, oh, that's the way I'll go. But it's actually, it's really hard to <laughs> physically because there is a part where you're hungry, and this is why. Because when you go past the first day, again, you enter into a place where your body adjusts. But when you eat every night, you never let your body move into that stage. And so it actually is a great way to stay dependent on God daily. So if you struggle with, like, just leaning into God every day, that's a good way to start to say, God, I, I want to, like, just, I want to learn to hear your voice and walk with you. Like, sun up, sun down is really good. And the other thing that I want to share with you is you should, this is, like, just, I want to keep it very simple, okay, because I want you guys to be equipped. Um, when you fast, you should, uh, when you go on longer fast, you should definitely consult a doctor. Like, if you were to go, I'm just saying if you got there more than seven days or so, it's wise to to speak to a doctor. If you're pregnant, probably not wise to be fasting unless there was certain food you want to cut out. Um, when you fast, this is important, you will go through what's called detox. Now, there's a reason why I'm sharing this. When you detox, your body is, is literally being severed from dependencies on certain chemicals. This is a healthy process, but you are detoxing. And if anyone's ever been through any type of detox, it's not pleasant. Why is that important? Because you will have, in the early on in fast, you can have migraines. You can get very moody. Whoop. <laughs> don't come around me. Very irritable. Why do I say that? Because if you don't know this, when you enter into a fast and you experience these things, you'll say, surely I'm doing something wrong. God couldn't be asking me to do this, so I'm going to back out of this. There will be so many things that will come against you when we go into the flesh next, next time we talk. Man, so many things will come that want to get you to modify or cut short what God's doing. Just know those are normal and they're actually healthy for you because your body's being purged from that. And the very last thing is after you fast, <laughs> this is important because I've, I've really fallen into this trap, is when you come out of a fast, you want to close right, but also you come back to a place of normalcy. <laughs> when you spend a few days of seeking God this way, and any of you have done it, you know you can have, and it's not this fanatical thing, you have some real spiritual highs. You have, you really encounter God in, in a crazy way the word the things he shows you and then when you break it what happens is it's like ugh, I feel like I lost that like that that edge that I had and you can fall into condemnation the enemy will come and say I told you nothing has changed or I told you what you were just experiencing were emotions again what you reap or sow in the spirit you will reap in the spirit something always takes place when you do it it's very normal that when you come out of a fast after being on this experience with the Lord that there's an adjustment period where man it feels like feels like you, you're doing something wrong, but just know that that's very, very normal.